Well, church, we're studying uh, prayer and the Lord's Prayer, especially prayer is an offering up of our desires to the Lord in the name of Christ, our mediator, by the help of the Holy Spirit, with the acknowledgement and confession of our sins and glad acknowledgement of his mercies. And so the disciples came to the Lord and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And so he taught them the model prayer. And we're going through the model prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, starts off by pointing to the wonderful, gracious mercy of Abba Father. And that is to excite us to childlike reverence and confidence in the God that's the only basis for prayer and going to a Father who will never fail us. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Our prayer is, God, you get the glory in my life, in my work, in my relationships, in my daily living, you get the glory. And then last week we discussed and studied your kingdom come. And when we pray your kingdom come, what we mean by that is that the rule of Christ would so grow in our hearts that we would submit more and more unto him as we study the word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that the church of the living Christ would be preserved and would grow. And that the overtures of Satan would be overturned. And that our minds would be renewed under the Holy Spirit by Scripture so that we might be His people until He is our all in all. And today we cover the third petition that deals with the Lord. That says this, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven. And so there's a confession, a faith statement that says this. What does it mean when we say, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? This is the answer. That we would renounce our own will and without murmuring obey the living God, which is the only good. His will, which is the only good. Until we obey on earth as the angels do in heaven. So we, we renounce our will. And we obey without murmuring the will of God, which is our only good. So, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I said last week that there's a certain sense of joyful desperation in our seeking of the Lord. Joyful, absolutely. We're, we're redeemed by the blood of Christ. We're the Lord's forever. We've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. If we die, we have the hope and the glory of heaven there's joy there. We have, we have the present-day ministry of the Spirit as He takes the Word of God and opens it to our understanding. Absolute joy. We sing, I belong to the Lord. We, we glory in His name. But there's also a hint of, of, of desperation in that we're saying, Lord, like David says in Psalm 51, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Jesus, you said you're the vine, I'm a branch. Unless I abide in you, I can do nothing. There's a desperation in that I know, at my age, I know numerous men and women who've been more godly than I am, and, and they did not end well. And, and they did that which caused disrepute to fall upon Christ and His church and their lives and their families and their kids. And I'm saying, God, do not let me go that way. So the, the joyful desperation is probably an 80-20 split or an 85-15, but there's, there's a sense of, God, have mercy one of our favorite Old Testament passages is in 2 Kings chapter 6. And in this passage, there's a prophet named Elisha. 
And Elisha and his servant look out the window, and they're surrounded by an invading army that wants to do them in. And we pick up the narrative in chapter 6, verse 15. The servant said to Elisha, Alas, my master, what shall we do? They were ringed with troops. And Elisha said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed a simple prayer, and he said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened his eyes, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around them, and they were defeated. We glory in that. There, there, there is an unseen angelic host that surrounds us. Matthew 8, 18 says there are angels who help us. There is the God who watches over us. We rejoice in that. We are glad. But I also remind you, as we studied just a few months ago in Ephesians 6, Paul says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our Struggles not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic forces in this present darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So, so yes, we're supported, we're defended, we're protected, but we're also in a cataclysmic contest and warfare against an enemy. So, so we, we cry out, oh God, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Martin Lloyd-Jones says the following. He's my favorite preacher of the last century. He says, our urgency, or, or if you will, desperation, is born of your consciousness of need and of the greatness of the awaiting blessing. Your urgency is born of your consciousness of need, desperation, and of the greatness of of your awaiting blessing, the blessing God wants to give. So, so we seek Him. We, we cry out, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, God, work in our midst. Work in my heart. There's a statement that became very popular about 16 and 20. That's the first time it's used. And so many of us have heard, it goes like this, faint heart never won fair maiden. Okay, faint heart never won fair maiden. You walk down these halls and you'll see some incredibly attractive women who are just fine and they're walking beside somebody that's not nearly so. It's just, that's just the way it works. And, and, and you say, you, you, say you, you don't say it out loud because you don't want to embarrass you. How, how did he get her? Now, I say it all the time. And here's the answer. Faint heart never won, won fair maiden. They, they pursued their wife. They, they, they wooed them. They, they stalked them in some cases. They would not leave them alone. Just, just a side road. We have a lot of young guys here, the gym especially. Listen, guys, faint heart never won fair maiden. If you see somebody you want to court, go after them. Don't halt. Just do it. You end up like some of us. It's a good place to be. Some, some, just some of our single guys just kind of think that their wife falls out of heaven right in front of them. I, maybe, but usually not. Listen, faint heart, never want to go, go for it. 
That's, a, just, that's nothing to do with this passage, but I just wanted to say that. <laughs> but you know, but, but see, but what, the principle is that something glorious is worth pursuing. We pursue. You, 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 people in Scripture that go hard for Christ say, I've got to see the beauty of Jesus. I, 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 Jesus says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. He says, you know, you got to be violent. you got to be violent. You pursue God. And that's why I'm saying this Friday is a day of fasting. If you can't fast from food, then go without dessert this week or a couple of nights of TV. But, but what you're doing, when, when you give up something like that, you're saying, I've got to see and taste the goodness of Christ. And God, God give us your power. Give us your authority. Let me see you. Let me know you. And so the confession says this, we, we renounce and obey without murmuring because God's way only is good. God's way only is good. And I was thinking about Psalm 19. As I was going through this. Psalm 19 says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. But I need that. I need the law of God to revive me. And then it says this, it says that the the testimonies of the Lord are, are sure, making wise the simple. I, mean, I am simple. I need for God's Word to make me wise. I was thinking of trying to read some books on World War I, and trying, it's been 100-year anniversary of the start of World War I. A stupid, nonsensical, unnecessary, horrific war. No reason for it, really. And World War I opened the door for, for fascism and Nazism and communism. And really the ills of the 20th century. No, no, 10 million men butchered, plus civilians. Million. We entered the war in 1917. We lost 116,000 men. And when World War I, when the nations declared war on each other in, in Paris, tens of thousands went to the streets singing French songs and waving banners. In London, the same thing. In St. Petersburg, tens of thousands were in the street, the square, waving flags, raising icons and pictures of the Tsar. The same in Berlin. A war, a war. You know, people say, why, why, why do they do that? And one answer is there hadn't been a war for almost 42 years in Europe. It was a golden age, and some historians say people had just forgotten the horrors of war. Well, they were soon to find out. But I thought, you know, in my own understanding, how many times have I been singing and dancing in the streets when I should have been lamenting? See, I, the testimonies of the Lord are sure making wise the simple. And then Scripture says that the, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. And the commandments of the Lord are radiant or pure, giving light to the eyes. It's interesting. I was reading a sermon by a man I respect very much a couple weeks ago. And he's talking about how to be filled with the Holy Spirit and the result of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And he said this. He said, one result of being filled with the Holy Spirit is your countenance. There's a joy. And I put a smiley face in the margin. It was my book, Okay. Smiley face in the margin and a big question mark. Because I think that's an overstatement. But, but you know, there's some truth to it, isn't there? 
In fact, Deuteronomy says basically that God threatens judgment on people who will not be happy. <laughs> I'm going to judge you if you don't get happy. That type of thing. And I thought about radiance, giving light to the eyes. And I thought about Psalm 34, verses 4 and 5, where the Scripture says this. says, um, I sought the Lord, and He answered me and delivered me from all of my fears. Those who look to Him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. And I thought, you know... Because of the cross, because the Lamb of God was Jesus who took away the sin of the world, my face should never be covered with shame. And so I said, Lord, let us be radiant people. I mean, some people just aren't, don't have a radiant look, and I know that. I don't want to, most of them worship right here, right this hour, and I know that. But I mean, uh, I mean you, you just say, God, let, let, me, let me reflect the glory of Christ. I've been studying the book of Hosea, Old Testament book. Hosea is an incredible book. It's an interesting book. This background, very quickly, 14 chapters written to the northern kingdom right before they went into captivity. And the issue that God is dealing with in the book of Hosea is you've been a faithless people. You have left me and you are serving the Baals, the God called Baal. <clears throat> now, now Baal worship, I can't really tell you what Baal worship is like because this is not a, a, a R-rated sermon. But ba listen, Baal worship involved every known sexual excess. All types of varieties, and some that you can't even think about. There was ritual prostitution that took place in the temples of Baal that represented the fertility of the earth. There was child sacrifice. Baal worship was the most horrific, despicable thing you could even imagine. And this is what God's covenant people were doing. It's not like they just kind of quit going to Worship, it's not like they just kind of, you know, no. they violated every standard of God. And so the living God who is holy, who's eternal, whose standards don't change, he closes the book of Hosea with tender pleadings. And I just read Hosea 14 and I want to weep every time I read it. This is the God we serve. He's calling them back. He says in Hosea 14, it says, return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take words with you and return to the Lord and say to him, take away all our iniquity and accept what is good. And we will pay with bulls and vows, the vows of our lips. We'll pay with sacrifice. Looking to the coming Messiah King, we will respond to you by sacrifice. says, in you the orphan finds mercy. I love that. And then God responds to that plea. This is what God says. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely. For my anger has turned from them. I will be like dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily and take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots will spread out, and his beauty shall be like the olive, and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow, and they shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine, and their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. Now listen to that. This is the God who invites us to fellowship. Come back. Come back because his way is good. And then the second part of this statement is that, is that we renounce and obey. 
without murmuring, we obey. And in other words, that's a statement of repentance. Repentance is seeing the odiousness and, and really the sorrow, being sorrowful for your sin, and then turning and looking to the glory of the cross. So you're going one way, so my sin is destroying me, and you turn and you look at the cross. You see the beauty of Christ. You see the hope that is yours. Another statement about repentance is this. Uh, that's Calvin. Um, let's see. If I go back. Another statement of repentance goes like this. Repentance is a sorrow over our shame as we look unto the Lord and see his absolute goodness. That's it. Repentance looks ahead with hope and anticipation, whereas regret or remorse only looks backward in shame. Here's, here's, a, here's a promise. Hear this. You hear people say all the time, we need to repent, and we do. A lot of times when people repent, they get the first half of the definition. Okay? Boom. They see the, 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 they see the odiousness and, and the wretchedness and the bleakness of sin, and shame covers them. They, they, have, in, they have incredible shame. But they stop there. And they just lament their sin. They're just, they just, and they never turn to the cross. They never say, see, it's lamenting, and you turn to the cross as you see the beauty of Christ. And so we walk in shame. The first man and woman fell into sin. And when God came into the garden, they hid after they put fig leaves to cover their, their nudity. And, and God said, Adam, where are you? And he says, well, I'm over here. He says, why are you hiding? He says, I am ashamed. See? And God says, fig leaves won't do. And so he made them a covering of animal skins, prefiguring the coming of Messiah King on the cross. I read this week about a, a college senior, a young woman in school in Connecticut. And she had flunked out of school in February. Graduation was in May, but her parents didn't know it. So her parents kept sending her checks. And her parents came cross-country to come to graduation, and she didn't want to acknowledge that she had flunked out of school and she had been living on the dole and fessed up to her problems. She was filled with shame of what she did. On the morning of the graduation, she called the school and said there's a bomb in the auditorium where they're having a graduation exercise. And they postponed the graduation, did a sweep, find out who it was, and now she's really ashamed, you know. I read that I thought, how many times have I wanted to call in because of shame and say there's a bomb there? There's a bomb there. See, that happens when you only see the bleakness of your sin and not the beauty of the cross. I don't know how people live without Christ. Because every morning I wake up and I'm a mess, and some mornings I'm really a mess. I need daily grace. So you, you, see, you, see, you see your sin but then you see the beauty of the cross. That's, that, that, is, that is repentance. Listen, the great danger of repentance is that you stay in the shame. You don't go to the cross. For every one look at your sin, take 25 looks at the cross. Martin Luther. Martin Luther said in his first thesis, in his 95 thesis, when he started the Reformation in 1517, when our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ said repent, he meant that Christians should live a whole life of repentance that never ends. See your sin, see the beauty of Christ. Conversely, Lord Byron, who died in 1828 at the age of 34, after a life of wild, uprightest dissipation, said before he died, repentance is for the weak only. 
I think Luther's right. Repentance is my liberation. Great line from C.S. Lewis's Surprised by Joy, his autobiography. He says, as I came to know Christ, I realized that, that the, the hardness of God is kinder than the softness of man. His compulsion is my liberation. I love that line. His compulsion is my liberation. read recently about a, a young man who was in graduate school in America. He befriended a Chinese who had come from mainland China to graduate school. And as they got to know each other, they realized they were both believers and followers of Christ. And the young American said to his graduate school friend, he says, tell me about your life. He says, well, I've been in prison twice for my faith. So I fled mainland China, and I'm here to study. I'm not going back. And he said, isn't it great to be in a land of freedom? And, and the Chinese student said this. I thought it was an incredible statement. He said, yes, but you deal with different sorts of chains than we do. Hear that? We deal with a different sort of chains that weigh us down. And therefore, we need to be a repenting people. Are you repenting? Are you repenting? Are you repenting? As you see your sin and you see the beauty of Christ, do you go his way? Stephen Charnock was an old Puritan guy, and he said this. He said that a legalistic repentance arises from a consideration of God's justice, but a biblical or evangelical conviction of sin arises from a consideration of God's fatherly goodness that has been wounded. Hear the difference? Legalistic says Primarily, exclusively, God's just. He's going to get me. But people see the cross say, God is glorious. He's Abba Father. I brought sorrow to his heart. See, repentance says bleakness, odiousness. The Bible says in Isaiah, 40, uh, Isaiah 41, it says that, 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 that sin is like a used minstrel cloth. So graphic. You see the odiousness of it. And you see the beauty of Christ. There's a little book called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It's by C.S. Lewis. It's a children's book that's filled with incredible theology. There is uh, it's a mythical kingdom called Narnia. There are four children that go there through a wardrobe. One becomes a traitor, becomes a Vassal of the white witch that represents the forces of darkness. He falls prey to being addicted to Turkish delight. He betrays his brother and his two sisters. And there's a line named Aslan, representing the great line of Judah, Jesus Christ, who, who has to die to redeem this little boy from the clutches of the white witch. It's a great story. But in this part of the narrative, uh, the little boy has come back to his brother and sisters and to Aslan. And he said, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? And so Aslan takes the little boy out and they have a long talk early one morning. And, and then they come back and the little boy says to his brother and sisters, do you forgive me? I was wrong. And then the white witch sends an emissary into the camp of Aslan. She dare not come herself because he's a huge lion. 
And the emissary says, the queen of Narnia requests an audience with Aslan. And a talking beaver says, he snorts, says, the queen of Narnia? Give me a break. And Aslan says, be quiet. All titles will become new shortly. He's about to die and rise from the dead. And so she comes into the camp. And uh, she stands there and she says this. You have a traitor there, Aslan, said the witch. Of course, everyone present knew that she meant Edmund. But Edmund had got past thinking about himself after he had all he had been through and after the talk he had had that morning. He just went on looking at Aslan. It didn't seem to matter what the witch said. I love that. That's a statement of repentance. Odiousness, and then you look at Christ. And when the devil beats you up with accusations and tells you that you're rotten, that you've blown it, you just keep looking at the line of Judah whose name is Jesus. You know what? It doesn't make a difference what he says. He's an idiot. He's a fool. He's defeated. He's hellish. He's a fiend. I could care less. I'm looking at Aslan. See? So that's why Calvin said the following about repentance. I thought it was a great statement. Calvin says, restoration does not take place in a moment or a day or a year, but through continual and sometimes even slow advances, God wipes out in his people the corruption of the flesh, cleanses them of guilt, and consecrates them to himself as temples that they may practice repentance throughout their lives and know that this warfare will end only in death. It's a great statement. Calvin is saying that it's just daily progress. It's interesting that in the Bible, when it talks about men and women who go for the long haul with Christ, it says they walked with God. It's just the day-to-day confessing, seeking, going for it. Brothers and sisters, are you repenting? Are you saying your way is good? Therefore, I renounce and obey without murmuring the things of God. I want to walk with God. God, use me. Teach me. Bend me. Oh, God, in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, work in me. Amen. Let's stand and we'll close in prayer, okay? Oh, Lord, uh, thank you that you are Abba Father. Thank you that you are gloriously good. Thank you that as we cry out, Abba Father, by the power of understanding the cross and the energizing that the Holy Spirit brings, it builds in us childlike reverence, joy, and confidence. I just thank you, Abba Father. That if you're for us, who can be against us? I just thank you. I thank you. Um, 
And Lord, we pray, Abba Father, get the glory. Get the glory in this church. Get the glory in our lives, in our community. Get the glory in your church around the world. Get the glory. Get the power. Get, get, the, get the worship, God. Let us be worshiping people. And we pray, thy kingdom come. God, bring your kingdom among us with power and might and take away the lethargy or take away the cynicism or take away just the hanging in there and uh, do it just not really expecting. Holy Spirit, fall upon us and renew us, I pray. And I pray that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I pray that we would see that your will is and your way is good. It is so good. And that as we see that, we would renounce our willful ways, and obey without murmuring this glorious God who is good. So teach us, Lord. Teach us. Teach that to our children. Teach that to our children's children. Teach that to our friends. Teach, just teach us that, and let us walk in your way. Blessed be your name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.